Now, the text that we read divides into four different parts, if you're taking notes. Here are the four parts of the text. Part number one is going to be verses 20 to 22, and it's going to be wisdom's public plea. Wisdom is pleading, and, and wisdom is pleading publicly. Number two will be verse 23, wisdom's promise. Verses 24 to 31 will be wisdom's wrath. And verses 32 to 33 will be wisdom's final plea. Wisdom's final plea. So let's look at wisdom's public plea. This is part one of, of, the, of the text. Wisdom's public plea. Starting in verse 20, wisdom calls out in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. She cries out above the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gates. How long, foolish ones, will you love ignorance? How long will you mockers enjoy mocking and you fools hate knowledge? I want to start by asking a simple question. Who is wisdom? Why is wisdom talking? Why is wisdom a woman? I think there are two ways to answer this question. The, the, the first way to answer it is this. Remember the context. Remember that this is a father speaking to his son. A father speaking to his adolescent age, teenage perhaps, son. A father speaking to his adolescent, teenage, pubescent son. And he wants his son to seek wisdom. How do you do that? How do you, how do you generate interest when you're a father speaking to a son? You make wisdom a woman. Now, there's another woman that the father is going to speak about. If, you, if we were to move further in Proverbs, I'd like you to see it. Proverbs 7, verses 21 to 23. Here is another woman in his son's life, or who will shortly in, in his son's future be in his life. Proverbs 7, 21 through 23, she seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. Who's this? This is the voice of the adulterous woman. This is the voice of the woman that is calling him away from the Lord and into, might we say, illicit sexuality, sexual immorality. The father knows that her voice is compelling, but there's another voice of another woman that comes in shortly afterwards. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Here we have again wisdom. Doesn't wisdom call out? Doesn't understanding make her voice heard? At the heights overlooking the road, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. And then go with me down to verses 6 and 7. Listen, she says, For I speak of noble things, and what my lips say is right. For my mouth tells the truth, and wickedness is detestable to my lips. So, one answer to this question of, why is wisdom speaking, and why is wisdom a woman here? is that ultimately there are two women in this young man's life. And the father is saying to him, which will you choose? Which one will you pursue with your life? 
Will you pursue wisdom or will you pursue this other woman? But there's another deeper answer to this question of who is wisdom. I'd like you to continue on our little journey through Proverbs and go to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 to 31. I'm going to warn you, there's a long text I'm going to read, but I think you're going to get the gist of why we're reading it right now. Proverbs 8, 22 to 31. The Lord made me at the beginning of his creation, before his works of long ago. I was formed before ancient times, from the beginning, before the earth began, I was born. When there were no watery depths and no springs filled with water, I was delivered before the mountains and hills were established, before he made the land, the fields, or the first soil on earth. I was there when he established the heavens, when he laid out the horizon on the surface of the ocean, when he placed the skies above, when the fountains of the ocean gushed out, when he set a limit for the sea so that the waters would not violate his command, when he laid out the foundations of the earth, I was a skilled craftsman beside him. I was his delight every day, always rejoicing before him. I was rejoicing in his inhabited world, delighting in the human race. So you may notice some things about wisdom from the text that I just read there. Number one, wisdom is with God the Father before time began. But wisdom is not claiming to be God the Father. Number two, wisdom seems to be involved with God the Father in the making of the world. And number three, there is this mutual joy and love that is going back and forth between wisdom here and God the Father. And later on in the Bible, John would write his gospel and he would begin it like this. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Of course, referring to Jesus Christ. And later on in John 14, Jesus would say this in a prayer between him and the Father. He would say, Father, you have loved me with a love before the foundation of the world. So here is Jesus with God the Father before the world is created, delighting in God the Father before the world is created, and creating the world, as it were, with God the Father. Here is Jesus. So is wisdom Jesus? We would have to say, in a sense, yes. Now, that, that, that's got to bring some confusion, right? Wisdom's a woman. Jesus is not a woman. Jesus is a man. He came to earth as a man, a male. I don't understand. But when Solomon was, was writing to his son, he wrote things that were there in the context to help his son. 
And, and many of the biblical authors did this. They wrote often in their own context. And what they, what they did not understand sometimes is that the words that they were writing had a meaning far beyond what their immediate context was. And so the New Testament authors then looked at what the Old Testament authors were saying and they said, this is pointing perfectly to Jesus. And I'm not sure that Solomon had that in his thinking. I'm not sure that Solomon, though he was the wisest man in the world, fully understood and grasped what his words actually meant when he was personifying wisdom. But here, in our story, we have Jesus Christ on display as wisdom itself. Now, if that happens, and if that's true, then we learn some things. We have some more things that we can see then about wisdom. For instance, notice in Proverbs 1.20 that wisdom is crying aloud in the streets. Did you notice that? Four times it says that she raises her voice in the public square where everyone can hear her. It's as if it's saying... This wisdom thing, it's not a secret. It's not like you become an initiate of some cult or some secret group. And then once you become the initiate and you've made it through and you've performed all the ceremonial rites, now you get to partake of the wisdom, the true wisdom that is a part of this group. Friends, Christianity is not like that. The gospel is not like that. It is to be proclaimed. And Jesus, Jesus in Matthew 23, verses 37 says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, she who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you were not willing. Here is Jesus standing in the temple, crying out before anybody who will hear him. Later on, he will say, come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Calling to anyone who would come. That is our gospel. It is for the world to hear. That is our wisdom. It extends to the farthest reaches of the earth. We don't have a secret message. We have a message that is to be proclaimed in the gospel. So back to Proverbs 1, 20 to 22. What is it that wisdom is saying here? Let's look at verse 22. Wisdom says this, How long, inexperienced ones, will you love ignorance? How long will you mockers enjoy mocking? Now, this word inexperienced, it's tough to translate because because inexperience doesn't quite get it. Um, there, there's another translation that, that says simple. You simple ones. But the Hebrew word, uh, as, as I've spent time looking at the Hebrew, the Hebrew word is, is something more, I believe, along the lines of how we would use the word gullible today. How long, O oh gullible ones, will you enjoy being gullible? Now, gullible, you know, to be easily persuaded to believe something. The idea behind gullible 
is that it may very well be that a person who's leading you towards good things comes along, and you believe them, and you trust them, and you follow them, right? But it could equally be that someone who is leading you down the path that you should not go comes along, right? And they come along, and they persuade you, and because you're easily persuaded to believe anything, you follow them. A gullible person is essentially someone who lacks discernment. Anybody can come along and pull them one way or another. Now, in our society today, gullibility kind of gets a pass. A gullible person, oh, you know what? You kind of pat them on the head. Oh, you're gullible. And we just sort of leave it. It's not a moral issue in our society today. It's just that, you know, it's kind of associated with innocence, right? Let's just, you're, you're innocent. You haven't figured the world out yet, and that's okay. Friends, that's, that's not how wisdom is treating this person. Wisdom has a rebuke for the gullible person. Wisdom says, how long do you want to continue to be gullible? And then her next sentence is especially indicting. She says, how long, verse 22, will mockers enjoy mocking and you fools hate knowledge? The idea there is that we've moved from the gullible person or the, the as it says here, in our text, the inexperienced person, to now a mocker, one who is openly in rebellion against the Lord. And then ultimately we land at a fool, which I don't know if you've read the, Pro- the book of Proverbs, but you don't want to be a fool in the book of Proverbs. That's the bad one that you don't want to be. So wisdom is not treating this gullible person as an okay thing. So parents, as you're raising your children, keep them from being gullible. Now, what do I mean by that? Is there an innocence to being a child? Absolutely. And that's something I believe the Lord delights in. When a child is of a certain age where they do not yet understand all of the depths of depravity in the world, It's not your job to bring in all of the depths of depravity to them. But however, it it is your job as a parent to teach them truth and to teach them to discern between voices that will come to them as they begin to grow older and older. The voice of friends, the voice of even teachers, the voice of people with authority in their life that you're teaching them to discern that. And it's difficult to do, but over time, you're teaching them more and more and more how to understand what the truth is and to hold to the truth, even though a person would be dissuading them or or pulling them away from that truth. And so wisdom speaks to the gullible here. It says, "Don't, don't continue to be gullible. Hear the truth and respond. Now, Wisdom next, this section number two, wisdom is now going to hold out a promise for those that will come, will hear and will come to wisdom. There's a promise being held out by wisdom for those who will come. Proverbs 1, 23. If you respond to my warning, then I will pour out my spirit on you and teach you my words. Now, the Hebrew here is slightly different. And the ESV translates it, if you will turn, if you will turn and hear my rebuke. 
Okay, that's the ESV. If you will turn and hear. You see how there's two things there? This, this text right here makes it sound like there's one thing. If you respond. But the Hebrew is actually two things. If you will turn and hear my rebuke. And I find that especially fascinating. Because here wisdom is saying that to hear me is to turn away from the direction that you have already been going. The Hebrew word there for turn is where we get our word repent. To repent is to turn. And it's the Hebrew word that is often used for repenting in the Old Testament. So wisdom is not simply calling out to innocent people. Do you hear that? Wisdom is not calling out to a person that says, well... I haven't yet chosen chosen for you, wisdom, to follow your path, but I haven't chosen the evil path either. I'm kind of sitting here. I'm uncertain which way to go, so I'm in a neutral center position. And wisdom is not calling out to that person because, friends, that person doesn't exist. Here's what Ephesians chapter 2 says about us. That before we were in Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world and then ultimately following Satan. That's what the text says. That we are born, in a sense, following the course of this world, which Paul tells us is ultimately following after Satan. So when wisdom calls out here, wisdom is calling out to men and women who are already traveling the other direction from wisdom. So wisdom's first command is to turn, repent. Repent of the direction that you've been going and now turn and follow me. Here is what Jesus says in Mark 1.15. Jesus says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. That has been Jesus' message from day one of his ministry. Turn and believe. Repent and believe. Here is wisdom saying, if you'll turn, if you will turn, and if you will hear my voice, then, what does she promise? Then I will pour out my spirit on you. I will pour out my spirit on you. Here's what Jesus says in Acts 1, 6 through 8. The disciples were all gathered together. It's in the very beginning of Acts. Jesus has not yet ascended to the Father. He has resurrected. And here's what he says. They they ask him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And Jesus said, he says, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus pours his Spirit out onto all who trust in him. We use the term spirit-filled believer. That, oh, that brother, that sister, they are a spirit-filled believer. But in a sense, it's a misnomer. You know why? There is no such thing as a believer who is not spirit-filled. That when you come to Christ by faith, he fills you with his Holy Spirit. 
You are now enabled by the Holy Spirit to live in obedience in ways that you never could before, before coming to Jesus. It's designed that way to glorify Jesus. So, he pours his spirit out upon all who will come to him. Here is wisdom pouring her spirit out as a promise to those who will come to her. And then she says, I will give them my words. John, Jesus speaking in John 17, 8. He's praying to the Father. Because of the words that you gave me, I have given them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. Here is Jesus now giving his words to those who have trusted in him. So wisdom promises to pour out her spirit, and she promises to give them her words. Two things that we see Jesus giving to those who trust in him. Here's the application, parents. Give your children the promises the joyful promises of what it looks like to follow after Jesus. Now, sometimes we hesitate on this point. We go, oh, I don't, I don't want to talk to my kids about the rewards of heaven because they might love the rewards of heaven more than they love Jesus, right? Is that a legitimate concern? Absolutely. It is a legitimate concern. There's always a concern that we might love the thing that we get, rather than loving the giver of the gift. But one thing that Scripture does is it presents Jesus as the gift. And so heaven is not so much a place where we, you know, sit on clouds and play harps. Heaven is a place where we are now, once and for all, where we have always longed to be, face to face with Jesus Christ, living our lives in in, in, in worship of him that is completely unhindered and unadulterated. The veil is gone, Paul says. And we can see clearly. That's heaven. Hold that picture of heaven out in front of your children. Help them to see the joys that would happen when the human heart finally meets its Savior. Hold that up for them. Let them see that. Let them catch the vision of what that is and see the reward of following after Jesus. So set the reward up. But here's where we get a little darker. Set the punishment up. Help them to see the reward. Yes. But help them to see the punishment clearly of all who do not trust in him. Is this not setting forth the gospel? Is this not like the children of Israel when they stand in between the two mountains and God lays out for them the blessings of following after him on the one mountain? And then he lays out the curses of disobedience and of betraying and rebelling against him on the other mountain. So wisdom continues. Something has now happened in this story. Wisdom has now been refused. The path has been chosen, 
and it isn't God's path. So let's look now at what wisdom says in Proverbs 1, 24 through 31. Let's look now at wisdom's wrath. Proverbs 1, 24 to 31. Since I called out and you refused, extended my hand and no one paid attention, since you neglected all my counsel and did not accept my correction, I in turn will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when, when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when trouble and stress come over you, then they will call upon me, but I won't answer. They will search for me, but won't find me because they hated knowledge didn't choose to fear the Lord, were not interested in my counsel, and rejected all my correction. They will eat the fruit of their own way and be glutted with their own schemes. Now, there's a lot here, and I don't have time to get into all of it, but I want you to notice an irony that takes place here. Look at verse 24. And notice that wisdom has been calling out to them. But in verse 24, we've been transported perhaps into the future now or a potential future where they have now rejected wisdom. Do you see that? So they have rejected the call of wisdom. Now look at verse 28. And notice that now in their calamity and in their distress, they are now, call, now calling out to wisdom. The roles have been reversed and wisdom in turn does not listen. Friends, there is a time to call upon the Lord. And there's a time when it is too late. And if you've come in this morning, perhaps you've come with a friend, or perhaps you've been attending for some time, and you have not put your trust in Christ, I want to warn you. I want you to hear if you were to die today, you would stand before God in judgment. And perhaps up until now, you've been saying, ah, I don't believe that Jesus existed, or I don't believe that Jesus really did what he said he did. I've got all these skeptical reasons. But when you stand before God in judgment, you will know the truth. You will be standing before the Holy God. I believe you will recognize Him as the Holy God. You will stand before His Son seated at His right hand, and I believe you will be able to recognize His Son, Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. And perhaps at that moment, you will cry out, Okay! Okay! I, I see now. I see. I believe. Save me. And at that moment, it will be too late. This is the truth from God's word. It will be too late at that moment. And you have to hear that. That it is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. So just as now wisdom has been refused and there is a point where wisdom now ignores the call, there is a time when we can come to the Lord 
and we can put our trust in him. And then there is a time where our calls will be unheeded, unlistened to. It will be simply too late. And I encourage you to put your trust in the Lord now while there is time. Some of you might say at this point, you know, this sounds really harsh. This just sounds mean. I mean, wisdom's being mean here. I will laugh at your calamity. Really? Wisdom's going to laugh at the misfortune of somebody? Well, that doesn't sound like God. I don't know the name of this street. What's the name of this street out here, friends? Somerset? Somerset's a fairly large street, and I have a two-year-old son. And if I had brought my two-year-old son today, and he just began to make a beeline for that street, and perhaps I was standing here just outside the foyer, and I saw him running towards Somerset, I would scream my lungs out and act like a maniac to try to get him to turn. Owen, what are you doing? And I would be threatening horrible things to get my son to turn around. And, 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 and you, I guarantee you, if you saw me and you looked at what I was doing, you would not call me a bad father in that moment. In fact, on the contrary, if my son was running towards that street and I just said, Owen, um, maybe you should think about uh, turning around. I guarantee you, you would look at me and go, what a horrible father. Because what he's running towards is, is probably death by a car coming down that street. And he doesn't see it. But you know what he might see? His father freaking out. This, this must be something big. This must actually be meaningful. Because he's freaking out. Do, do you get that there are places in this book where, where, where God's word is not holding back anything when it comes to the destruction that will come upon those who turn away from Jesus. But here's, here's a truth that we have to understand. Do you realize this book has, is written to those that have not yet made the final choice? Do you realize that Proverbs, at this point in time, this father is saying, this is what wisdom will do, son, at a time when the son can still choose for wisdom. And God's word is written to us at a time when we can still choose for Jesus Christ. And so if I got up here and I thought, well, I've got to be God's PR guy. And i got to make him look good. And ooh, that doesn't, ooh, I don't want to preach that. And I want to just, you know, I want to get some of that stuff off the page because it just makes God look bad. You realize what I'm doing? I'm bringing down what is ultimately serious into something that's a trifle. As if we would be saying to people, 
can choose for Jesus if you want to. If you don't want to, hey, who am I to judge? But is that, is that consistent with the word of God, first of all? And second of all, is it consistent with what we know about salvation and damnation? It seems to me that we should be consistent with the word. And it seems to me that we should speak when there is reward to be held out for those. We hold out the reward and we speak about the joys of the reward. And when there are times in God's word, and there are, where destruction is, spo- is spoken about, that we should speak about the destruction so that people can see the consequences of their choices. So, with that said, this is love to call someone out before they have the, before it's too late and to say, here is the choice that is laid before you. And here's the destruction of all who will turn away from wisdom, who will turn away from Jesus Christ. Lastly, we have wisdom's final plea. Proverbs 1, 32 to 33, here's what wisdom says. For the turning away of the inexperienced, or gullible, will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live securely and be free from the fear of danger. Wisdom's final plea is to lay before you two ways of living. There's the way of wisdom, and there's the way of rejecting wisdom and following the world, and wisdom ultimately lays out the ends, the goal, the results of both of those choices. And there's one last thing that I'd like you to see here, and it's the word complacency. Look at the second word, the second line, for the turning away the way of the inexperienced will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. See that word, complacency. I I am convinced that far fewer people will go to hell shaking their fist at God and talking about how much they hate him and how much they're an atheist Far fewer people will go to hell that way than those who hear the call of Christ, they hear the gospel preached to them, and they simply go, eh, complacency. They hear the gospel preached, and they say, eh, what's for lunch? They're not, they're, they're, they're not enemies of God. They're, they're not shaking their fists at the heavens and talking about how terrible he is. They just hear and go, there's other things in my life that are just far more compelling than that. And both will equally end up in hell. There is a complacency of fools. And so I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you, if you're here and you've not yet trusted in Christ, would you consider not being complacent on this issue? Would you consider the claims of Christianity? Would you dive into what is actually being said in the Bible? Consider the claims. Consider the fact that Jesus rose again from the, from the grave. That's a claim of the Bible. Would you dig into that? Would you look at that? Would you ask people, 
Rather than just, you know, I, I kind of know what the Bible says. I've talked to so many people that say, oh, I, 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 I've read the Bible before. Really? So few people have read the Bible. So few people have actually asked, what does this mean? And yet they've made up their minds about who Jesus is. And that's a complacency that is absolutely, utterly dangerous. So I want to challenge you, don't be complacent. Investigate these claims. Investigate who Jesus is. And make your decision based upon the truth as far as you can investigate it. And I say that with a lot of confidence that investigating these claims will lead you to the truth. But don't be complacent. So the promise that's held out to us for those that trust in him is a future, of, a future promise of security. It says ease, that it will be, they will live securely and be free from the fear of danger. It's a way of saying that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and he will destroy the enemy ultimately in the end so that we can stand before him and enjoy him face to face and there will be no one that will ever snatch us out of his hand. There is a joy and a security that's being held out if we would follow the way of wisdom, which is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you now, send your Holy Spirit come into this place, and if there is any that is, that's on the fence about whether to trust in you, I pray that by your Spirit you would convict them and convince them of the truth, that their hearts would be changed, and they would, they would come to know you in a deep and unchanging way. Father, I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters that are here that do know you, that we would celebrate the joy of knowing you and we would let that knowing you and the joy of that overflow out of us into our families, into our children, and then into our coworkers and the people who are around us who we rub shoulders with on a day-to-day basis, that they would see the joy of what it means to know you and that they would be drawn unmistakably to the fact that we have this joy that they do not have. I pray that your gospel would go forth out of Bethany Baptist Church and that that you would love your church and that you would continue to reveal yourself to her. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.